Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. For this episode, we're at Huddle's 2019 Elite User Conference in Las Vegas. Host Derek Hernandez is joined by Cahal Garvey, Head of Performance Analysis for Rugby Australia, Ed Sully, former Head of Research and Innovation for Manchester City, and first, Reese Long, Head of Performance Analysis and Insight for the Football Association. So we've got a, um, a collaboration between all the heads of um, English analysis uh, in sport, really. So you've got um, myself, uh, Mike Hughes, who um, uh, heads up um, insight analysis that looks after uh, England rugby. You've got Chris White at the LTA, uh, Julia Wells at the English Institute of Sport, and uh, Giles Lindsay, who um, heads up England cricket. And really, we're, we're trying to share the best practice and also share uh, information about what analysts we have in the pathway and what developmental needs they need. Because I think, you know, the, the big thing for me is whilst as a lead, it's all well and good coming to these events and sharing with all of your peers. I do think that, you know, and I've been critical of, of it in the past, that we don't really um, give enough uh, development to our younger members of staff and also look at their development and how we, we really help them right across the board. Great stuff. So not only do today's guests represent different sports, but different organization types as well. And regardless, if you're working for a governing body like Reese or for a specific team, it's a challenge to ensure everybody is on the same page. So with that said, what role does video play in ensuring everybody takes a consistent approach um, throughout the entire organization that you're a part of? I'll go first on that one. Um, I think... You know, from, from our point of view with how we want to play, I think we're looking for consistency across our teams um, whilst understanding that um, opposition that you're going to face might cause you different problems. So it, I think with video, it does two things in that regard. It, it looks at your common principles and ensures that you can see the commonality across all of your teams. But it also can um, help... Uh, share different problems that different teams have, have, have faced against different opposition and give you good examples of how you counteract that as well. Um, so I think by sharing those two forms, that, that's really helped us as an organisation, you know, across 16 teams essentially and, and try to get them as closely as possible in terms of knowledge share, but also in terms of uh, principles of play. Yeah, I think definitely video is still king in terms of um, being used to reflect and to share and to, and to observe uh, learning of players and coaches and it's always what they want to come back to and use so um, I think traditional methods would have been using various um, subjective ways of, of finding uh, instances of videos and using that and more modern methods now in integrate uh, data science into those approaches uh, but there's still a nice blend between the two. Um, so video, I think, will still continue to be a very important part of the process in terms of players and coaches learning. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, we've delved into the world of data science and analytics, but our key decision makers being our coaches and our players on field, you know, they're comfortable using the huddle ecosystem, using sports code output windows to be able to see a trend, but then click through to the how and the why by looking at the video. So that's it's crucial in everything we deliver as analysts is that it's tied back to video so that context can be given behind everything we, we do. Yeah, and I think coming into your point there is, you know, ultimately we've, we've gone through it as well. You know, you, you model, you get data scientists to look at everything, you know, you, you go through reams and reams of data, but actually what does it come back to? It comes back to showing one or two crucial points of video that you want to try and get your points across. Yep. So, 
you know, in, in the world of, of data and analytics and uh, data modeling, data science, you know, ultimately you're always going to revert it back to what does it show me that I can tell a coach or I can tell a player. Great. Now, football and rugby, there's, there's constant movement. There's key instances can happen at any moment. What tools, workflows, or tips do you guys have in terms of, you know, keeping up with the pace of the game to deliver these insights that you're talking about right now? We can start with you, Kahal. Uh, for me, utilizing output windows that reflect your KPIs going into a game are crucial so that there's a screen somewhere for our coaches that are in constant communication with the sideline. I'm talking live in-game experience here are aware of how we're executing our game plan so uh, that we're not waiting until the Monday review to analyze what went wrong. We're able to affect change live and, and using tools like that will allow will uh, assist us in doing that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, just to build on that, I guess he's always taken a simple approach to say you've got a pre, pre-performance, during performance and post. Um, I think the experiences that, that I've been fortunate to be around is is um, very much looking at what the context of budget is that has a huge impact on what actually can be put into place. Um, I think to Lisa's, Lisa's point earlier is about if you have a central model about how you want to play the game first, it makes everything else much more simple to do. Um, if you're in, in a, in a mode where it's very much driven by whatever the coach is at any one time, that can be much trickier to, to work in, but at the same time can help you learn a lot as well. Um, um, so, so I think it does depend on the on the kind of scalability of what resources you've got available to you. Um, uh, and I would always encourage people to to try and learn, um, you know, try and do as much as they can, um, but then lean on other specialisms where they can afford to do that, or um, you know, be, be super creative in how they get to that point. I think um, you know, having years of experience of trying to interpret data live well. You know, um, the game's going on and it's so fast-paced and there's critical instances happening left, right and centre. Um, I think, you know, if we're future-gazing a little bit, it's how do the products of the future actually uh, work in conjunction with your game model, um, what you want to see um, from a from a typical uh, uh, game that's coming through and how does it actually alert you? How does it make it a little bit more intuitive for analysts? Because, you know, there's loads of quality data out there. There's loads of quality footage out there. You know, that's only going to get more and more. We're, we're asking analysts and coaches now to interpret eight angles of video. You've got multiple data sets coming in from multiple sources, whether it's your own department or whether it's um, a third party. And really, I think the challenge is, is that, you know, one or two people to try and contextualize that. And we talk about giving simple messages. Well, the more and more information that comes into that, how do we really make sure that we can contextualize it, get it through really quickly um, so that it's an immediate data source for you. But then when you're consuming it and understanding it, how as an analyst do you have um, the ability to, to do that? But also how can technology help us? in making sure that the right information comes through at the right time. Yeah, and depend, depending on the sport, I mean, you've got such limited time available, haven't you, to, to share that information in, in live in performance, even if it be at half time, you know, typically what, five minutes goes by where, you know, everyone's just having a bit of a debrief and, you know, if it's a bad result, everyone's going a bit crazy. If it's a good result, everyone's really happy. 
and then you maybe get 10 minutes tops where the coach and the, and the, and the people are working together to, to review things. So your actual window of opportunity to make an impact live in game is, is so short. So to Reese's point, you've got to be really on it to know, right, what is the one key message that I'm going to make here? Even if it's just that. And that itself can be super difficult to do when you've got so much information. Very much so. And yeah, and how much of it is actionable, you know? How much can you get through to players that are down there? That's not just don't do that again or this again, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are some great points. And you brought up a great point in terms of the abundance of data and the abundance of video. And everybody has access to that now. It's, it's definitely changed over the last few years. Um, and everybody uses some form of data or video analysis. So what types of things are you, what do you guys look for or have you looked for to gain an edge on the competition when everybody's doing it? I think um, from uh, our perspective, the, the biggest challenge we've got is there's lots of good data, right? So we're not saying it's bad data or th there's a huge amount of data that is now being provided by a lot of people. Um, I think you've got to contextualise it and make it pertinent to yourself. Um, for us at the FA, we've, we've gone down a different route um, and what we're trying to do is actually measure what counts uh, and trying to contextualise what's in our coaches' brains, you know, and really understand about what their viewpoints are and measure that, you know, and it's something that I've held true all over my whole career really is whilst there's loads of good data out there, half of it might not be applicable to what your coaches want, what you're seeing in your game model. So it's really about how do we um, collect our own data because ultimately then I know um, training the, the amount of analysts we have that we can make sure that that's reliable and we can make sure that it's pertinent to our game model. And ultimately, if we need to be flexible and change it on the, on the fly, we can. Or if there's more data that we need to collect in a certain area, we can develop templates there rather than you know, trying to get a third party um, to, to try and uh, reflect that is, is very difficult. Mm. So whilst there's an abundance of data out there, I think that the data that you collect and being really smart with that and measuring stuff that really counts is probably the key. Everywhere we go with the Wallabies, we've got an analysis room with 15 workstations there where people can collaborate, the coaches are there to answer questions, players get into groups. We also push clips out via huddle to ensure that players that aren't that comfortable or don't learn very well in a group environment are able to study things on their own time and just get the content right before coming into the next team meeting. So. We try and cater for lots of different techniques and we're always trying, we're always learning, we're always trying new things. So uh, that's an advantage of coming to a conference like this is just picking up some, you know, some tips that I'll go back to Australia with. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's amazing how it's developed over the years. You know, you started with big presentation meeting rooms and trying to do, mm. uh, you know, uh, get the whole squad in and, and deliver a session there, which they're still valuing. Um, then we moved into the realms of laptops and iPads. Um, then it got smaller and went pushed to phones. And, you know, I probably had a, a reflection back on this and saying, you know, we're probably going back the other way at the moment mm. in terms of, um, you know, it was back in my rugby days where, you know, you saw uh, five or six players all sitting on a sofa, all watching the same clip without any of them talking. Hmm. And you're, you're trying to reflect back to, look, you know, it's still a team game. They've still got to communicate. They've still got to understand yeah. what each other are thinking. So I think, you know, the learning is individualistic but without losing uh, sight of, you know, it's still a team sport that, yeah. you know, that I'm involved in. Uh, and ultimately, player communication and player understanding, especially at international level where they don't play together week in, week out, yeah. is really needed. And um, I think the more that we can accelerate that, 
the better you become on on match day when the pressure comes on um, and players probably don't have that inherent understanding of how each other are going to play if they play for for different teams. Yeah, yeah. we've seen quite a big uh, increase on individual one-on-one sessions between coaches and players as well. I wonder if that's a bit of a reflection of uh, players not like being being dug out in team sessions and things like that, and particularly the younger players as they're coming through the generations, etc. I think um, a good one on that is, um, you know, I keep on saying it. You know, your players are probably the most underutilized resource in that regard. <laughs> so, whilst it's yeah. right, can we get the can we get the analyst to cut a load of clips for every individual's IDP? Very true. Um, yeah. And you know, I think we saw a presentation from Sam this morning that you know gave that whole thing of you know player direction. Mm. And I think, you know, actually using involved. your players to get more involved in that and actually take yeah. a bit of uh, ownership on themselves to, to cut clips and look at stuff that links into the stuff that they want to get better or need to improve on. Um, you know, ultimately, if they, they've got the skill set as well as an analyst or a coach to be able to do that. Completely you know, we, we were talking about the other day, how do you do, um, you know, 20... Um, 20 one-on-one sessions when you've got a two-day turnaround well you know it makes it very very difficult if you've got analysts or coaches whereas if the players can do that themselves and utilize the technology themselves I think it speeds it up Um, and I think you're really flipping that and getting them to place themselves at the heart of their learning Um, one takes away the resource of trying to do lots of one-to-ones and get an analyst frantically uh, scrambling around to try and cut a hundred odd clips but it sinks in better when you're doing the work yourself as well exactly of course it does yeah Yeah. Yeah. so I think you know that's that's probably one of the areas that you know we constantly talk about how can we improve analyst workflow how can we improve a coach's workflow well you know one of the big things is is let's go back to the target audience here Mm. it's you know it's about your players players. it's about how we make our players better now some of them will be more engaged in that process some of them might not mm. but ultimately it's down to their individual learning habits and and how you can improve them yeah there's obviously a, a big uh, you know technology aspect to to your roles but you know the, the the people aspect is probably just as important maybe even more important in your minds and, in, and based on your experiences what are the key attributes you've seen from the most successful colleagues that you've worked with you know, what do they possess um, you know, regardless of what level they were where they were at like what does it take to be a successful analyst slash coach slash coordinator um, in the roles that you guys have been in? I think you have to be super driven. You have to be selfless um, because you're, you're in a definitely in a team environment. Uh, you've got to want to learn. Uh, you've got to be comfortable in your own skin of making mistakes. Um, uh, and that's not always easy. Not always to find an environment where, where mistakes are okay. Yeah, I could, you could list out... Uh things all day that you need to be good at in this role, but uh, being a good communicator uh, would be one. Um, You know, understanding technology, but being able to present that in an actual insightful format that engages the people that matter, as Reese mentioned, or the players learning and being able to implement strategies out on the field on a Saturday night. Um, And being balanced, being good at time management. I could keep going, but... uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, I, I guess. What, what, what do you think, Reese? Yeah, uh, working with loads and loads of different analysts, I think that that's the key point for me is the different. That, you know, ultimately you've got a, um, a workforce or um, a team, and ultimately what you need to get is the dynamics right in that. And I think, you know, you could have. Lots of good analysts who are very good articulators, you know, the um, incredible um, uh, working in, a, in an environment with players and coaches. You've got others who, you know, actually they want to be 
further away from that and actually focus on the research elements and they produce some uh, unbelievable work in that regards and I think blending the skill sets of the analysts you work point. with mm. I think the only thing I'd ever give to an analyst is just being true um, to their skill set um, working on the things that you know that everyone's talked around around this table about what you've got to be good at in the role everyone knows that but I think you know ultimately not trying to deviate too much from yourself um, because I think if you try to act like an analyst that's in your group and that's not you that's never going to work so I think you know whatever your skill set is really play on that and, and be and be true to that and don't try to change um, change your skill sets to fit into a group you know understand about where your strengths will actually accentuate other people's um, and where probably some of your weaknesses you can utilize someone else's strengths to to try and balance that up mm. so I think you know understanding that every individual analyst is going to be really difficult it's really hard to say what what makes a good analyst and what doesn't you know I've always said like the one thing it always comes back down to is your work ethic um, and making sure you understand where you fit in the group. Um, I think those two things will then accentuate all of your personal qualities. And as you guys are going to test too, you know, to really hone your skill set, it's going to take some trial and error. You're going to fail sometimes. What is the biggest horror story in your guys' careers? If you guys can share any of that. <laughs> and how did you react? I, I remember being introduced to the Wallabies as a group in, back in 2014 by the head coach and I got up to say a few words, obviously, in a strong Irish accent and <laughs> one of the players, Scott Fardy, shouted out, write it down, mate! <laughs> and everyone just started roaring laughing at me and I sat down and it's been like that from the start. So you've got to just roll with it. Yeah, I think as well, some of the times when, when performances and results don't go your way and if you if you're in that live environment and you're in the dressing room straight after the games of things I think you'll learn very quickly in terms of you know, how to act and behave and certainly I've had some some good and bad really good good and bad experiences of doing that um, you know some some, <laughs> some really painful games I and mean, probably the worst one was um, Old Trafford Man City um, we were I think it three three and in the very last minute Michael Owen scores to win, to win the game four three and after that game, it was it was such a low point, um, and uh, you know, and, and they're the moments that uh, you know you need to remain calm. Uh, and actually, a really good lesson on that day by observing some things. So, um, let's wrap this up by looking into the future. What do you think your profession will look like in five years? I don't think it, I don't think it'll exist in the same way. How so? Uh, I I I I mean, like we touched on a bit before. I, I do truly believe there's a real blending between coaching and analysis um, where they're becoming one and the same thing it's not there yet there's still there's still differences in that but I, I definitely think it'll be that part of trying to future gaze in it you yeah for well sure I, I think you know I think you, you've hit it um, you know with the introduction already of smart cameras uh, there's a lot of automation there there'll always be the soft skills required and the storytelling required to work with the coaches but it is it's a more blended world now and it will continue in that fashion I agree with you you know, I think we've got to be careful in terms of um, how much good information is out there uh, and how much information is coming. And, you know, everyone wants data and everyone's talking about the data revolution and all, you know, there's so many data scientists and data analysts and, you know, we, we've got a couple. But I think you're going to hold true to what are you trying to use this information for? And it's not to look great on a Twitter blog. Mm. It's actually <laughs> to improve performance. And if it doesn't, then what are we doing it for? 
And I think, you know, I've probably just alienated myself to the whole Twitter community there. But, <laughs> um, but, but ultimately, I, I think, um, you know, we're still working with coaches, still working with players. We're all trying to win, right? That's the constant that there's going to be there in five years' time. So how does what you do and what you utilise in terms of the resources that are around you, whether it be data or video, how does that have an impact into what you're doing? And if it doesn't, let's not do it. You know, there's nothing worse than using stuff because it's in vogue and it's the new thing. And I've seen it so many times over the years where people jump on everything because it's in vogue and you actually look at the utilisation of it and it's very minimal. Yeah. Um, but there's great stories coming out of it. There's great publicity coming out of it until you really get back to the heart of, right, what do you use this for? So I think that's that's probably the big thing is, you know, how do we use some of the good information, the good, good technologies that are coming out there to alleviate probably pressure points in workflows? Um, but it can't diminish from your core roles and structures, which is winning games, helping players uh, to improve and helping coaches to make good decisions. You know, that, that is all it's there for. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with a new episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on Twitter at ground underscore guru.